When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 is back across the Outkick network. What a football weekend. We're going to recap it all today and throughout the week. And SEC headlines, the NFL delivered as well. Gentlemen, live from the 6th and Peabody Studios, it's going to be a great afternoon of football discussion. What's up? It's one of those days where... Are we going to be able to get to everything is the big question (laughs) in my mind because there's so much to get into today with so much happening starting on Saturday, which was maybe the best college football weekend in the last five to ten years. When you talk about big games delivering start to finish, there was something in every window of the day that was so compelling with some of the best teams in the country. Uh, Remarkable college football weekend that led into another great NFL Sunday. I complain frequently about college football not having enough close games. Saturday could be used as the uh, exhibit A in uh, in a case against my complaint. Uh, slew of close and compelling games. And then, like you said, the NFL just picked up with it. I mean, uh, some really compelling games. Some really bad kicking that made some games uh, – incredibly compelling shockingly the titans not involved in the bad kicking locally uh as things the pendulum is is swinging they didn't need kicking to to stay in a game against the jaguars but uh a ridiculous day of kicking in the nfl close games abound and i live for the drama of close games coming down to to the end you guys were in the heart of a close game, a monumental upset that ended a bunch of streaks. Hutton, you gave the detail of, uh, of Alabama not even trailing for a year. I was in the car on the way to the Rolling Stones game. <laughs> we well, said the same uh, thing. On the way to the Rolling Stones concert <laughs> when the Aggies kicked a field goal and I turned to my wife and said, Alabama hasn't trailed in almost a year. And the announcers came back from commercial and said, Alabama hadn't trailed in almost a year, and she looked at me like uh, she was somewhat impressed with my ability to rattle off that statistic, so thank you. What a, what a weekend in Aggieland for us, and OutKick and Fox. Going into the game, I mean, we, we hosted the show on Friday. We were not expecting much of a, a, a game. Well, we, you're we expecting expect, to watch good we, games We expected a great atmosphere, not much of a game. Uh, but based on what Texas A&M had done and the dominance of Alabama the week prior when we watched them destroy Ole Miss, and this was the opposite. The, the Aggie defense was able to force some turnovers in the first half. They led 24-7. Zach Calzada has a legendary performance. Legendary performance. And we got I down to the sideline at halftime, and he's warming up, and they're up 24-7, to and I tweet out, and, and, and tag Chad on this, and I said, this guy needs a big second half because I, 
I went going down on the sideline for the second half. I was expecting Alabama to come back and roll them. I I, I got on FanDuel and took the second half line. The whole for, game, for Bama. You were probably expecting it. expecting expecting Bama to win and expecting Bama to get back into the game, which they did. You know, they had the seven point lead. They had the block punt. A and M responded with what the kickoff return for a touchdown, and then they. Alabama takes the lead. They get the uh, the two-point conversion. Saban comes off the sideline fired up. Calzada gets the football back. The run game was efficient, and they drove down the field for the game-winning score, and the field goal is good. What an atmosphere at Kyle Field, Chad. It was, it was incredible, and uh, it wasn't just on Friday's show we were talking about how Alabama was going to manhandle A&M. Saturday in Aggieland, we're talking about it on Outkick yeah. the Tailgate. That was all of our predictions that – it wasn't going to be close. We were picking Alabama to cover. And lo and behold, Zach Calzada turns into Steven Garcia of South Carolina he, circa 2007. How long was he out after he got hurt? Well, he, they scored a touchdown on that pass, so he didn't miss any time. Oh, Alabama right. got the ball with three out, and he was back in the game. They scored a touchdown. Everyone realized, you know, Aggie fans beside us. Watching the were, ball. Watching the ball. Touched a great, great throw, great catch. Um, and he hurts his ankle, and he's, you know, he's limped off during – he limps he off back. during – and. Jimbo Fisher was chatting with him as he was walking off, and I looked at uh, everyone we were with, and I said, they, he just said he's coming back into the game. They took him into the tent. Jimbo Fisher went into the tent with him. Which you don't and, see. And they get the football back. The crowd erupts. They start chanting his name because he took the field and joined so the So Alabama get a went, first down or two on that possession? Did he, did he have no, there was a three. there was a three and three out. out. They came in, got a three That's and really out. That's really impressive. Got yeah. the ball back and went right down and kicked the field goal it was, and, and won it. Amazing. Um, the moment, six plays, 65 yards, and the touchdown. Um, and that set up that final possession where they go down and get the field goal. Here is the scene from Kyle Field um, where they, they storm the field. And when number one goes down, as Texas A&M gets revenge, Billy Lucci told us, based on last year's result, everyone had circled this game. This was the moment that they did not expect to happen. And it did. Uh, the, the crowd went crazy, which, look, Aggieland lives up to expectation on game day and game night. And this scene is something I'll never forget. Chad, you were down on the field as they stormed the field, and Lucci told you to keep your head on a swivel. Yeah, and I, I could talk about We're going to show that as well for those uh, watching. But uh, Lucci looked back. He was First, I was giving me the, the fist bump after every big Aggie play. <laughs> and he said, uh, you better keep your head on, on a swivel because this place, you're about to be, it's going to be busy down here on the field here if he hits this. And I'm watching with Johnny Manziel, who's right in front of me. And Johnny Manziel, I, I meet him with five minutes left in the game. And he says, hey, man, um, I'm pretty into this, so I may not be able to talk much. I'm, like, I'm not trying to talk to you, buddy. You, you watch. I'm watching, too. Here's Chad's And view. here's the uh, field goal. I'm right behind Go Johnny Manziel. Chief. Go horizontal. This and, is for Instagram uh, story, Chief. This is for Instagram story, Chief. you got to do it this way. So then uh, the people take the field, as you see. And, uh, I mean, look, it was, it was madness. I was expecting more of a trample situation, but remarkably no one really got all that close to they me. They know to they give you me. your space. Yeah, they gave me my space. Look, it was a great atmosphere. It's the first time since 2007 Bama has lost to an unranked team. And I, I could not stop thinking when we were watching A&M, oh, this was the team that we thought they were going to be in the preseason. Yeah, This was a Haynes King quarterback team that we thought we were going to see in the preseason that would go toe-to-toe with Alabama. When everyone circled this date and said Alabama and A&M is going to be the game of the year in the SEC, 
this is what we were expecting. But A&M, their season's been, was somewhat derailed by two losses, uh, the Mississippi State loss especially. But, you know, looking bad offensively, and then Zach Calzada, I said it uh, before, I'll say it again, it's a Steven Garcia-like moment. Yeah. 2007 was the last time Steven Garcia, South Carolina, won over Nick Saban in Alabama. Steven Garcia's never going to have to buy a drink uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. Zach Calzada became a legend. Regardless of what he does, if Haynes King comes back, and takes the job right back from him, Zach Calzada will always be a legend uh, at Texas A&M for this one game. It, it was incredible to be a part of it and see it. Um, I don't want recency bias to play into it, but it's easily, Hutton, a top five sporting event slash game that I've attended. I think it's the best college football game I've ever watched. I mean, it, not just television or live, but in period. In yeah. I mean, but it was 24-7. It had all the moments. Alabama came back. Their defense... Stopped A&M for six yards, minus one, 15, four. That, th- those were the drives as Alabama got back in it with touchdown, field goal, field goal, touchdown. And it was 38-31, Bama leads. And then A&M did that with Calzada at quarterback. When he faced pressure on Saturday night, he was seven for 11, 123 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a quarterback rating of 141.3. Calzada did that against Alabama's defense. That's what makes it so legendary, and he did it in such the in the biggest moments. Uh, it was incredible to watch. And then the scene afterwards, the setting with Midnight Yell leading up to kickoff. That twenty four hours later, again, like everything played into that moment that makes it the the best game I've ever seen. So, is there any moment in the ecstasy of all of this, as people are winding it down at the end of the night? or the morning after, on, on, on or around campus, <clears throat> that allows for people to think, well, damn, if we didn't lose by 10 to Arkansas, if we didn't lose by four to Mississippi State, this season wouldn't be solely about beating Alabama. There was, there was none we of would be talking about the playoff. I'll, I'll tell you this, Paul. There, that's going to happen this week. There's going to be some, man. Just going back, you know, you're going to lie or something. But not on thing. that night. I mean, what? Where oh. was that Zach Calzada against Mississippi State <laughs> the week before when Mike Leach, uh, you know, beat us? What happened there? That night, not that night. I, I had two different guys that night after the game that we were just Kiss talking you. to. One, not no, <laughs> that we we're just talking to at the bar. That one guy said, "I know this is going to sound really sad in a lot of ways. The biggest moment of my life. This is the greatest day of my life." <laughs> And I mean, without a, yeah, that uh, is without zero humility, nothing. Just th- this is the greatest moment of my life. I'm I'm not, and they're probably in their twenties, but it, it, to them it was the great. I mean, that's how big that was. And to beat Bama, to be able to chant, even though it's not true, but chant, we own Bama, <laughs> when everybody we're walking, filing out of Kyle Field, and people are chanting, we we own, but not we want Bama. We own Bama and, and, was and, amazing to witness. Instead of "Sweet Home Alabama's," we own Alabama. We own Alabama. Yeah, singing. every time they would sing that, they would play the song, and everyone would yeah. say, "We own Alabama." Uh, Epic it was night. It, it was amazing. No one was saying about that. Uh, we were to the left of me where we were sitting. We had really good seats. Also, um, thanks to Farm Folio for that. To the left of me, there were a group of 1992 Alabama alums. A group of women. They live in Houston. They go to one game a year, and they chose this game. So I was talking to the lady next to me, and she was very intense, very into it the whole time. She, she was into And when it. Alabama blocked that punt <laughs> and got it to 24-17, they were going nuts. And I turned to her, I said, here it is. 
you're fine now. Alabama's going to get it going. That's the, that's the thing they needed to turn it. Calzada's going to be mortal again. You're going to score. It's going to be tied. And they were, were comforting very, her. They were very confident they should be, being Alabama fans. Like, you know, you're right. That was it. It's all we need. It's over now. Next kick. 98-yard touchdown ret- uh, return for a touchdown. And that's when I turned to her and said, Maybe not. Might not be your night. <laughs> I, had to, I had to tell her, and she looked at me, and she's like, no, something, something's up here. There is something in the air tonight, and this does not feel good anymore. And I said, yep, this just, that's the time that I said, I think A&M's might get it. This I, is, this I understand the magnitude of this win and how it can wash away everything and make the season and uh, all of a sudden Jimbo's contract and all that stuff. But I can't help but think about those two losses and how much better this season could be. They could be in the in the playoff conversation. But I mean, it's really, it's really not that hard to figure out because Calzada has not been good. No, I know. I understand. They're, well, they're, you're saying the he can be this good. He just showed that, it can be this good. But that's what makes the game so legendary is that he did like, – right. He had his moment. Yes. And look, he, yeah. may, he may revert to not being that right. good again. Yeah. It could be his this one could have been, singular This was moment. a Matt Corral. Yeah, this right. is why we love sports at times. It's completely unexpected. And he might go back to looking like a backup quarterback again in the next game, and this was just – that special night where everything came together. And Billy Lucci, founder of TexAgs.com, we had a poll question for Outkick the Tailgate. Who's the bigger disappointment this year, LSU or A&M? And he said, oh, this is an easy answer. It's A&M. And he covers A&M. He said there were more expectations on A&M, and they've been, they had been worse at that point. By the way, now there's no doubt who's been the bigger disappointment, and I'm sure we'll right. get to LSU at some point too. Uh, but it's just one of those things that, it's hard to explain how Zach Calzada can do that. It's hard to explain how a guy looked like he was dead after that hit and wasn't going to come back in the game, could go back and, and usher that, that go-ahead score. We can get into this later today or more likely later this week, Hunt, but we had a good conversation last week about college quarterbacking in general, SEC specifically after the top two, nationally on a broader scale, and now it's just not great, really. And, just very inconsistent. Yeah. And out of that, you know, I heard some discussion this weekend that I absolutely agree with. Out of that, which is kind of disappointing, comes what? Parody. And maybe Zach Calzada having this one great game, but it creates more parody. So the quarterbacking, we're like, ah, well, there aren't many great quarterbacks. But what are we getting? We're getting an unbelievable season with a lot of unique permutations where Oregon goes and beats Ohio State and Texas A&M beats Alabama, and we've got a lot of possibilities for the playoff right now that in a typical year we would be saying, well, it's going to be one of these four or five teams. And right now it could really be how many? There's actually a lot of possibilities that usually there are not. And so I think that's a side effect of this quarterback thing because if you go every year – well, who's been in it? Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones. And all these quarterbacks are getting drafted high. Sets up so many interesting angles for the college football playoff. Alabama is still squarely in the mix here. Sure. Georgia is the the elite uh, after uh, Auburn was trounced. Yeah, and then there was one. 34-10, the final. Um, we will get into when we come back. Ole Miss and Arkansas going on at the same time as Oklahoma, Texas. And it, that we just discussed a game that lived up and then some to expectations of just what a great college atmosphere and, and game is like within the SEC. It was really the whole day. A lot to unpack from college football and the NFL throughout today's show. It's Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network.
such a fun weekend in College Station. There was some travel delays throughout the country, especially in the southeast portion of the country that affected a lot of things. Chad and I made it out of Houston uh, yesterday afternoon, made it back in time for the NFL slate. We're here to recap it all with you. I did not make it out of Nashville. Yeah, you couldn't. The flight to Jacksonville canceled. Uh, fortunately, at least I got a text at 1230 uh, Sunday morning that uh, my flight was canceled. So my 4.30 alarm for the next morning uh, it got turned off after I canceled everything next morning. But I stayed in town to see the Stones at Nissan Stadium, which was a great time. Um, Photos are great. Yeah, but the uh, Jacksonville was the source of all of this because Jacksonville Air Traffic Control was unhappy. So they basically kind of staged a mini strike. And that's where all of this flight problems trickled from so a lot of the titans beat guys had problems as it was getting in on saturday and and getting out um and i was on the last possible flight to get in i was going to be late as it was so i covered on tv for the first time well i do it in the preseason a little bit but wasn't the best but i'm i'm fresh we will uh, get into uh, Titans and Jags as they get to 3-2 and two on the season, about to host the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football here in Music City. That's coming up in the Tennessee Power Hour. We will also discuss the Vols trouncing South Carolina, handling them as they should. Top of the and, middle, for sure. Uh, Josh Heupel <laughs> and that offense that's, rolling. I want that T-shirt that uh, Paul just said. Top of the middle. That, for, that's sure. for sure. For sure. What was the... That's uh, the bottom of what they are. Remember <laughs> Let's the, keep going. Remember the Derek Dooley line of uh, they had all over the, the building that was the opportunity <laughs> is supposed to be now and here, but it was opportunity is nowhere that was put <laughs> everywhere uh, around the locker room when Derek Dooley was the coach. Top of the middle is, is the new one for Tennessee. And I, hey... I'm happy. I'm happy that's with that right now. That's, that's great progress. So, watching all the games uh, on Saturday, uh, Chad and I were posted up along with Jill and uh, Jill Savage, uh, Paxton Elrod, Clay Travis, a whole group of people from Fox and Outkick, watching the games before tailgating and, and doing some, some shooting across campus. Um, what what an incredible day of college football and at the same time on multiple TVs hopefully viewers and listeners across the network today able to catch all these games in real time um, you had Ole Miss and Arkansas at the same time that Texas and Oklahoma is going on and, and Texas opened up that big lead and the Sooners came back to win the game uh, Ole Miss winning by one as Arkansas failed going for two just craziness well just setting the scene for us you know we're in the uh, the Texas A&M hotel and we've got one of those sports bar seats. We have our own television. We had that TV set on Ole Miss, Arkansas. And like you said, Hutton, same exact time window at that 11 a.m. Central kickoff. You had Texas dominating Oklahoma, <laughs> dominating the Sooners. We had a bar packed with Aggies who were upset about that, about, Oklahoma, <laughs> about, about Texas winning a big game and looking better than A&M. And when that thing shifted... When Caleb Williams, the five-star freshman, came in for Spencer Rattler, which, by the way, have we ever seen a Heisman frontrunner mm. hopeful being benched for non-injury reasons this quickly into a season? We'll get to that at some point. But the way that bar turned and started cheering on Oklahoma and going nuts every time something good happened for Oklahoma and something bad happened for Texas, it made me think, and I'm sure you guys have been in this situation, traveling with the NFL, traveling for games, you get into a strange city, a different city, and you see the bar reacting to a game that's not their own, and it takes you a second to register, oh, they're against Michigan here. 
or oh, we're we're in College Station. They're rooting against Texas in this bar. It's always fun when you're in a strange place and you get to witness those things. I mean, the the, the play that that I remember from the bar with A uh, and M fans is the long run by Oklahoma where it looks like it's going to be a, a touchdown, right? And he's stripped inside the five-yard line. Now, his knee's down. But at the time, you didn't know that. Ball's out, and they were, you know, throwing empty glasses and all. I mean, they were – people were upset that Texas was able to get that turnover because Oklahoma was trying to mount that comeback. Turns out he's down. His knee was ruled down, and Oklahoma keeps the football and eventually scores. What, what I mean, 1,200 yards combined of total offense in that game – um, you mentioned Rattler's bench for Williams. Williams comes up and has that 66-yard run, throws for two touchdowns. Uh, another great quarterback performance uh, by a guy that's uh, inserted into the lineup we weren't expecting. Well, so, well, sorry if I keep referencing uh, things people told me in, in Aggie land, but it actually makes <laughs> sense when I tell you what happened in this game also. One of the Aggie fans that we were talking to said, after that game, when Texas lost, you know, we're going to get killed tonight, but who cares? Because at least we don't have the double pain of Texas getting a big win over Oklahoma. So we're all thrilled. So now it's just icing on the cake. Go and try to play close yeah. and see what happens. And I saw that guy later, and he's like, boy, was I wrong about the uh, A&M game. I said, yeah, everyone was wrong about they the got A&M game. The double win. There. But, I mean, now with Texas, think about the disappointment of a no-show against Arkansas. Talking about old you know, Southwest Conference rival. And then you start to look better. You've got Bijan Robinson, who is the best running back in America. You're rolling against Oklahoma. 38 combined points in the first quarter. And just completely the bottom falls out against an Oklahoma team that, let's face it, had been very mediocre yeah. this season. They had not been an explosive offense, had not shown much, and they bring in the five-star freshman from D.C., Caleb Williams. Who and the fans a, have chanted for previously this season. It's a completely different offense. And they turned an 18-point deficit to a seven-point lead in a span of nine minutes. This is way too old school of me. I had a couple bucks on it because you were on your guidance. Thanks for that. Uh, you were big into Texas. I was. And, and then I watched a we little bit of it. We were all big into Texas in, the, in yeah. the third quarter. I watched a little bit of it early, and they were running away with it. And so I got into Ole Miss, Arkansas. And I wasn't watching a ticker on that game because it was over. And so, hell, 52-51 game, I was all in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was way more invested. I, I was way surprised when it circled back to hear what was going on in that game. I wasn't like paying a lot of attention to the, the scoreboard on that game. It was game. 41-23. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> meanwhile, I mean, that these two games were going on simultaneously was really impressive. If I had been paying better attention, I would have been flipping back and forth. But I was thrilled by this Ole Miss-Arkansas game. And uh, the revelation to me was this trail on Burks. Uh, because I was expecting he the, was the passing attack to be Ole Miss. Well, nobody in the Ole Miss game caught more than two passes. Sanders made his count for 127 yards, but Burks, every time Arkansas got the ball back, was making some kind of spectacular contested catch, seven for 136, just going up and taking the ball away from people and helping Arkansas sustain these drives that were keeping it in the game. This is not the kind of offense I was expecting from, from Arkansas in this, in this game. And they just fought and fought and fought. I know everybody always loves when the coach goes for two. I love when the coach goes for two if he gets the two. When he doesn't get the two, I want him to have gone for overtime, especially if I'm kind of into his team. And I don't have a rooting interest in that game, except that I felt like 
I wanted Arkansas to win it because it was improbable to me that Arkansas was going to win a game where it was, uh, if you had 103, you were hitting the over. Uh, hitting, you know, if you had 102, you were, you, it was over. So you, you wanted them to kick the extra point because they missed it. Right. And in the moment, there was, we're sitting there, and I'm like, no hesitation, he's going for two. And the reason I, I was completely on board with it, that, I mean, well, our table cheered when we saw Sam yeah. Pittman immediately with a two in the air. When Ole they Miss punted on their first drive, and then they scored 52 points. And yeah, you know you're not they ran for 324 yards on 49 carries. They were not stopping Ole Miss. So if you, if you think that you're not stopping them and they're not stopping you, well, you have the final play of the game right so there. Go do it right there. So just end it. If you, if you truly believe they're not stopping you and you're not going to do the same to them. I think we all agree that overtime would have been crazy and eventually you're forced to go for two. Sam Pittman wanted to end I don't. I was I was for it. it I don't like the play call. I mean, it, yeah, that's that's you what know, it comes but, down to. But yeah, I, I don't mind them being aggressive and just saying we're ending it right here because Ole Miss isn't stopping. I, I don't play either. Call hindsight, not, I just wanted, yeah, to, yeah. To, uh, I wanted the scenario where they pulled it out because I felt like uh, I don't know. I just felt like they deserved it, which is kind of a silly thing to say because they didn't win it. But, I think I think that we got Ellie, our production assistant, who is an Ole Miss grad, and she'll probably agree with me on this. I think of it this way. What does the opposing fan base or team want you to do in that scenario? I think they want you to kick the extra point. I'm watching Lane Kiffin go crazy over some sort of clock issue and having to call a timeout before that two-point conversion play. I feel like almost every fan base, if facing that defensive stand, you're almost silently praying, hey, if they score, kick an extra point so at least it's overtime. Praying like Because Kiffin. you don't want that. Yes, Kiffin praying was a great uh, <laughs> gift that will never go away. I'm you know, just perfectly locked, eyes closed in prayer. But, right, that's – I always think, like, you should do it because every – the other team doesn't want you to go for it. The fans don't want you to go for it. The coach is over there praying – that his defense could come up with one stop in that moment. I give him Kiffin credit. Was. I give him credit for one of the things he said, and I don't know what the question was, but his his last answer as he left the field was, "Well, we didn't stop them. They they missed a two point conversion at the end, but I, I don't don't say we stopped them. We didn't stop." Them. Oh, I mean, it, it is clear. Old Miss's defense is back to the twenty twenty version. Yeah, they're the- starting to play some <laughs> offenses now, and it's like, oh, that's the defense that we uh, knew and loved a year ago that couldn't stop anyone. They allowed 39 first downs, 676 yards of offense, a ton of chunk plays. Here's the amazing... What was the over-under on that game? I mean, you were over, um, like, halftime, probably. Yeah, uh, I don't know what... Well, I mean, it had to be close to 75 or 80 just because Ole Miss is involved. Well, I can tell it's you... It's 82 this week I can for tell Tennessee, you that, right? That result, combined with the two results here, has led to the Tennessee Ole Miss being now at 79 and a half. 79. It's, it started at 83, and it has gone down. But they put it in the 80s with to, those two to, offenses. Because of that. Just to be Here, safe. Here's the amazing stat for me out of the game. Ole Miss had 611 yards of offense. They only ran 22 first downs. They only had plays of 22 first downs. That's how massive chunks of yards they were getting in this game. That's the offense I wanted to see against Alabama. Yes. Right? Well, and that's, that's the offense I want to see every week. That's some of the offense. The, any of that offense we would have taken for Arkansas against Georgia. But the problem, the problem is Ole Miss's defense could not get the stops the way Texas A&M's defense got the stops against it, it, it was a weird game because I had so much faith in Ole Miss's play calling and personnel and offense to score in any way they wanted when they got the ball. Yeah. And on the flip side, <laughs> I just I knew Ole Miss had to keep scoring because all Arkansas is going to do is drop back and throw it deep to Burks. 
Well, I mean, it was amazing how their play was just let's throw it up in one-on-one coverage and let our guy go get it, and it worked seemingly over and over again. We we saw Sam Pittman coach a fifty-two fifty-one game, yeah, and he was completely cool with it. But look, Sam Pittman hired Kendall Bryles so he could win some fifty-two fifty-one games. I mean, that's a guy that's known for hot, fast-paced, high-powered offense coming from the Art Bryles, obviously both literal and and coaching tree, uh, family tree. I mean, that, that's, that's what they that's what they want. I think we just get lulled to sleep a little bit by Arkansas because they do have a really good ground game, and their defense has been good. I, I don't think Arkansas's offense is nearly as bad as what we saw against Georgia. I don't think their defense is nearly as bad as what they showed against Ole Miss. The truth's probably somewhere in the middle. But what I loved about that game and those two teams, that was fun, and those are two programs that are easy to root for right now because it looks fun. Those coaches coach for the players. The players love it. Look at that sideline when he goes for two. That's exactly what they wanted to do, that confidence, and not hesitating, knowing they were going to go for two. Yeah, and Calzada wasn't the only quarterback that had uh, a debt because Jefferson was, was ridiculous. And Corral. 326 and three touchdowns. But Corral, we expected of. Right, Corral's the one guy we're thinking is going to have that kind of day. Jefferson and Calzada are guys we were talking about last week who hadn't risen to the occasion and, and we don't know if they'll do that again, but Jefferson was ridiculous in that game. Georgia just makes you boring. I mean, it's based on their style of offense and their defense just not allowing yards. They, they had 49 runs for 201 yards. Now, keep in mind, Ole Miss had 49 carries, um, 324 yards. Like just an extra 150 yards on the same amount of, uh, of carries. Yep. And again, Stetson bit for Georgia, 14 passes, 231 yards. I mean, it's just a... It's, different, it's, it's a different animal. It's a defensive-minded team that is elite. And you're just not going to be able to do very much against them. It's not... Uh, I find it fun to watch, but it's not Ole Miss Arkansas fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you don't want every game to be this 52-51, but when you get one and it's a back and forth like, oh my God, if you just, don't score here, what's going to happen? It's it's pretty fun. They're just the very efficient and effective. And it, it, Chad, it, it's very similar to the 98 Tennessee team. You know, they're so efficient in what they do that they they can match up with any style you're trying to to throw at them offensively. Except that 98 Tennessee team had to win some close games uh, along the way. Well, that's I, true. I don't know that Georgia's going to have to. I, I'm, I'm putting the expectation, and Georgia's fans have already put it there on Kirby Smart, the only success is winning a national title, is ending that 1980 to now streak. I'm putting it on this year. This is Georgia's year. They've allowed 33 this points is Georgia's in six year. games. That defense, I said it last week, I'm looking for a separator. That defense is a separator from the rest of the country. There's no one close to them. After seeing Alabama almost had at Florida and Texas A&M finishing off the job, there is nothing in college football like Georgia's defense. Well, and for that reason, they need to go win a national title this year. Keep in mind, Alabama, there were 24 points on the scoreboard against Alabama at halftime. Georgia has allowed expected. 23 points total in four SEC games this year. Well, they uh, messed up and allowed, what, their second rushing touchdown of the year yeah. <laughs> in the second quarter of the season? Look, I feel Auburn. the same way about Georgia, but the thing is, like, and A, nobody saw that coming against Alabama, right? It's out, out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And Georgia, you know, hasn't played the greatest slate of things, so we got to see. 
you know, A, does a mystery team come out and do something like A&M just did? And B, you know, what happens when they see somebody that's a significant notch better than what they've seen well, so I far? I still think, I mean, A&M, and we talked, when we previewed this game, we talked a little bit about this, but not much because the quarterback was so bad, who was great against Alabama. A&M's got the horses to beat Alabama. They, they, they obviously they did it on Saturday night. But defensively, they're talented enough, offense and defense, to beat an Alabama or to hang with them. The only team left on Georgia's schedule outside of an SEC championship against Alabama or whoever is Florida. And do we see Emory Jones at quarterback doing enough to beat? Well, I mean, we've looked, we have seen crazy things Chad, in the cocktail There party. are people that are currently but that's discussing it right now for Georgia. that the toughest challenge is not Florida. And they're not saying that, that they're losing. They're saying the toughest offensive challenge will be Tennessee's pace. And I, I think there's some truth to that. Go do it, Chad. Go well, do I think, it. I think we'll, we'll talk a lot Go more Tennessee in the, the final hour of the show. But what we're seeing with this, uh, this blitzing of opponents in the first half for Tennessee is a shock value that yeah. these teams aren't ready for it. And that's you can practice it all you want, but you, you are not for. ready when you see it. That's a shocker that you asked for from this team this year. Yeah, to have offense and be fun. And that's, that's what Tennessee is right now. But I still, there's just... I mean, you've got to run it to run offense at that rate. So this would require starting a drive with a first down run for four or five yards. I don't know that Tennessee or anyone is capable of consistently doing that against Georgia's front. We'll we'll see. But I'm looking at Georgia's schedule, and I still I'm circling the cocktail party in Florida as their last true test before they get to the SEC championship. You guys are going to that one, right? Yeah, we'll we'll be be there. there. And before they face uh, their SEC championship opponent which is likely Alabama we'll be there for that too in Atlanta uh keep in mind Alabama in four of Saban's seven titles they've lost a game in the season so all is not they're not dead yeah no they'll get the head-to-head matchup against Georgia but an unbeaten Georgia and they can get in the college football playoff that way so but there are a lot of permutations there no doubt and those other years with one loss in there weren't as many other factors, it doesn't feel like to me, as there are well, it's potentially just, now. I, I just I think the factor is just Georgia's defense. And and I, I think the other hiccup possibly, Hutton, is is quarterback play with Georgia. I mean, can you really Stetson Bennett's a nice player, but can you really just game manager way against the the Abama? or against another great team in well, college football? If they lose uh, to I don't Georgia. know if there are any other great teams outside of Ohio State, but maybe you, talent-wise. If they lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game, are they getting in? Just uh, I know all the other factors. About, yeah. no, no, not right now, not right based now. on the landscape. Um, but I, I pointed this out in the, the opening segment of the tailgate show. Like you, you, you have to, What A&M needed is what they got in that first half. You get some turnovers. Uh, second half, you get a kickoff return for a score to match – a, a, a special team score for Bama. Uh, that's how you would have to jump out in front of Georgia. It's the same way. You would have to get Stetson Bennett on a tip pass on you know, two two passes on his fourteen attempts, and actually get get a turnover here or there. Yeah, make him have more. Attempts yeah, get a short also. field and get get some points on the board. and make him throw it twenty times instead of yeah, fourteen make, times. Make everyone say, "Oh, that's a five eleven quarterback right. playing against Bama's defense when they're forced to throw it," and then you're going to have yourself some crazy things happening. Kentucky over uh, LSU. We will discuss that. Plus, our thoughts on Midnight Yell, the, the night before A&M and Alabama. That's all straight ahead. They're not horse. That's on one thing Outkick I've realized. 360. Hang with us. 
Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. You can follow us on Twitter at Outkick 360. We hope you'll subscribe on YouTube as well. Shout out to Fox Sports Shoals, Fox Sports Knoxville. A part of this on the uh, radio end of things, David Reed, the chairman of the board. Coming up, we will get into the NFL takeaways from a big week five. Uh, Bills last night over the Chiefs, Chargers. What an amazing come back against the Browns, all of that and more. Packers-Bengals was an excellent game as well that went into overtime. Uh, details on that straight ahead. Kentucky handles LSU. Ed Orgeron uh, this morning uh, had a press conference with media in Baton Rouge where he's laughing off the question about his job security. He said that the quote was, "As a, you know, I'm still the coach at LSU. And that famous last words for many coaches uh, in past years. Uh, but he's done. I mean, he was on the hot seat to begin with. And Kentucky leading 35-7, to going back and why sometimes 42-21 could be 28-21 in the fourth quarter and it gets away from you. And being in, uh, in College Station, I didn't see the game live. Going back to watch, this was not a game. Kentucky ran away with it. And they, LSU did not get quarterback play. They did not look good. They did not look like a functioning SEC school yet again. Um, it's it was bad, and Kentucky came to life some, somehow, some way. Yeah, Kentucky's offense has been a, a, a struggle bus for a while, and it was not in in this game. And uh, the running all over LSU, you got uh, their star receiver for LSU also injured out for the season. This game, it does not look good. Fred Ogeron, you know, it also doesn't look good. Florida, Ole Miss, Alabama, Arkansas, those are four top twenty teams nationally. Those are their next four games. I saw they, uh, Stuart Mandel write, someone should put a prop bet on UConn or LSU who wins their next game first. <laughs> because UConn... UConn blew its big chance this? against UMass. Well, UConn lost to UMass, who, who snapped a losing streak that goes back to September of 2019. 17 games, I think. UMass, uh, UConn has not won a game since the start of last year, or sorry, the end of 2019. But they get MTSU, UConn mm-hmm. does, and Yale. This week they play Yale. Maybe a chance for UConn to snap that. So that would be an interesting prop bet between LSU and UConn if you think UConn can beat Yale or Middle Tennessee State. Kentucky, again, ran the ball well. I mean, that yep. they, as, for a, a struggling passing game as they've been uh, week to week, this is an offense that can get production with Rodriguez. So, And, and they did it again. They ran for, what, 215 yards against LSU. LSU, by the way, their offense put up 100 yards in the first half. We've talked about Georgia not really having a challenge, and I'm not saying Kentucky's going to beat Georgia, but I'm very curious to see. You know, we talk about it's not if you lose, how you lose sometimes. I'm curious to see how long and how much Kentucky can stand toe-to-toe with Georgia, if at all. You know, and I think it'll say a lot about where they are, how they can handle this game, how long they can be in this game, if they can scare Georgia a little. Um, to validate what they've been doing the last couple of weeks, beating Florida, uh, which was the, the game that defines this season in a lot of ways, taking care of LSU like they were supposed to. Now what can you do against George? They've been one of the they've been one of the fun teams to follow this year, despite some of their struggles. They've met expectations uh, in oh, terms of results. Absolutely. Well, it's funny. Absolutely. And they haven't played that as well as games, expected. 
they're winning, but they're, it's not like their games are lighting up scoreboards and it's like, wow, look, you know, look at this Kentucky team. The 42 is pretty good. But they, they deserve a ton of credit. Well, it was a struggle, and then they put together three consecutive scoring drives against LSU and broke it wide open. Um, defensively, they, they allowed LSU to sling it around a little bit late, you know, more cushion, played a bit softer coverage, and LSU put some stats up, but. I mean, it's efficient, 14 of 17, but it's 14 of 17 for 145. Three touchdowns. That's a nice, efficient line, yeah. but 145 yards. Well, and they're able to do that because they ran the ball so well. They run it. I mean, you, you can throw that efficiently. And their offensive line. But he's going to so need good. to open it up at some point in a meaningful game, right? And he, they, we haven't really seen him. Wildcats O line gets a full test this week against Georgia. Game we'll be at. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny that you say, despite some of their struggles, they're one of two undefeated teams in the SEC, and they're playing this weekend. It's Georgia and Kentucky are the last two unbeaten teams in the SEC. I, I'm done betting against Kentucky because of their slow offensive games at times and, and almost losing to Chattanooga. I think you can bet against them this week. But I'm betting against Kentucky this well, week. Well, how good, <laughs> how good is Georgia? Let me finish, Paul, because they're, they're not going to cover the 23-and-a-half against Georgia. But they're legit. I mean, that, it's crazy to say they're not going to cover 23-and-a-half and they're legit, but they are. They're the, they're the second-best team. In the SEC East, it's just such a clear divide yeah. of Georgia and everyone else in that division that I still think Georgia wins very easily in this game. But Kentucky has impressed me, and they've done it with offensive line, which is a top two or three unit in this conference. They've, they've done it with a two-headed monster at running back with Cavassier Smoke, one of the greatest names of all time, and Chris Rodriguez Jr. Will Levis, I got really excited about early. I'm not as high on him right now, but he had, as we said, a very efficient, also had a rushing touchdown in that game, a big one uh, for Kentucky. This Kentucky team is legit, and uh, what a job by Mark Stoops. We're three weeks away from Tennessee, Kentucky, and I said Tennessee is the top of the middle. We're going to see the divide there, and I call. look, I'm saying it out loud. I, I, I'm actually starting to believe in Tennessee, and – I think that could be a game. Well, so here is why I think Tennessee's got a good shot at Kentucky. If we're just peeking ahead at someone who could knock off the Wildcats, they got a bye week. They've got Ole Miss and Bama and then a bye week to get ready for Kentucky in two weeks. Kentucky's schedule, on the other hand, they've got Georgia. They go to Mississippi State. State, which is a difficult preparation game with Mike Leach's offense. And then they come right back home the next week and play Tennessee. So Not for for that high tempo. Yes. So I again I we'll talk more we Tennessee got a long later. Time to get we got a long time that. to talk but about I think it. That, but I like Tennessee's chances more against Kentucky after a bye week than against Ole Miss at home this week. Chad, going into midnight yell practice at College Station, I was told this is a very uh it's a very cool event. It's also very hard to describe. Let's start at the beginning, like before you went in. Spell out for me what the premise of it is. Because in my head, I'm still back at bonfire. It's just a pep rally. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a glorified pep rally where they practice all their chants and cheers and watch, it turns out they watch a lot of skits from these, from these uh, the 12th I mean, I, I, can, man. I think I could describe it uh, with one word, weird. It yeah, is it's very, very weird. It is a weird, 30, people cult-like there at midnight. press conference, press conference, pep rally, uh, very cultish. And the fact that you could organize that many students to do something at midnight on a Friday night with a game weekend is pretty impressive, that they all just show up to the stadium at the same time, and it's all student-led. Being a yell leader, I know, is prestigious, but these are guys wearing overalls 
with like howdy written on it. I mean, it's like a hee-haw skit is what it reminded me of. They started this with two guys in showing their arms in, in overalls, squaring off at midfield, making the eye cadets. contact, doing push-ups. Yeah. Uh, just and everybody's cheering them on as they're doing push-ups. The comedy routine was bad uh, <laughs> from everyone. Now, when they get into the actual yells, the chants, it's pretty. cool. Neither of you are horse at all, and you weren't horse at all on the show. Did you yell? No, no, no. we we did not. We were mic'd up though for the show, going yeah. deep with Clay Travis. So that will be an episode. Midnight yell at Kyle Field. Uh, we discuss NFL headlines next. On Outkick 360, Bills atop the AFC.